Volume Seven, Chapter Two of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Barony. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Francis Burney, Volume Seven, Chapter Two, A Visit. One week only, however, had yet tried the perseverance of Cecilia when while she was working with Mrs. Charlton in her dressing-room, her maid hastily entered it, and with a smile that seemed announcing welcome news, said, "'Lord, mum, here's Fidel!' And at the same moment she was followed by the dog, who jumped upon Cecilia in a transport of delight. "'Good heaven!' cried she, all amazement. "'Who has brought him? Whence does he come?' A countryman brought him, mum, but he only put him in, and would not stay a minute. But whom did he inquire for? Who saw him? What did he say? He saw Ralph, mum. Ralph, then, was instantly called, and these questions being repeated, he said, Mum, it was a man I never saw before, but he only bid me take care to deliver the dog into your own hands, and said you would have a letter about him soon, and then went away. I wanted him to stay till I came upstairs, but he was off at once. Cecilia, quite confounded by this account, could make neither comment nor answer. But as soon as the servants had left the room, Mrs. Charlton entreated to know whom the dog had belonged, convinced by her extreme agitation that something interesting and uncommon must relate to him. This was no time for disguise. Astonishment and confusion bereft Cecilia of all power to attempt it, and after a very few evasions, she briefly communicated her situation with respect to Delvile, his leaving her, his motives, and his mother's evident concurrence, for these were all so connected with her knowledge of Fidel that she led to them unavoidably in telling what she knew of him. Very little penetration was requisite to gather from her manner all that was united in her narrative of her own feelings and disappointment in the course of this affair, and Mrs. Charlton, who had hitherto believed the whole world at her disposal, and that she continued single from no reason but her own difficulty of choice, was utterly amazed to find that any man existed who could withstand the united allurements of so much beauty, sweetness, and fortune. She felt herself sometimes inclined to hate, and at other times to pity him, yet concluded that her own extreme coldness was the real cause of his flight, and warmly blamed a reserve which had thus ruined her happiness. Cecilia was in the extremest perplexity and distress to conjecture the meaning of so unaccountable a present, and so strange a message. Delvile, she knew, had desired the dog might follow him to Bristol. His mother, always pleased to oblige him, would now less than ever neglect any opportunity. She could not, therefore, doubt that she had sent or taken him thither, and thence, according to all appearances, he must now come. But was it likely Delvile would take such a liberty? Was it probable, when so lately he had almost exhorted her to forget him, he would even wish to present her with such a remembrance of himself? And what was the letter she was bid to expect? Whence and from what was it to come? All was inexplicable. 
the only thing she could surmise, with any semblance of probability, was that the whole was some frolic of Lady Honoria Pemberton, who had persuaded Delvile to send her the dog, and perhaps assured him she had herself requested to have him. Provoked by this suggestion, her first thought was instantly having him conveyed to the castle, but uncertain what the whole affair meant, and hoping some explanation in the letter she was promised, she determined to wait till it came, or at least till she heard from Mrs. Delvile before she took any measures herself in the business. Mutual accounts of their safe arrivals at Bristol and in Suffolk had already passed between them, and she expected very soon to have further intelligence. Though she was now by the whole behaviour of Mrs. Delvile, convinced she wished not again to have her an inmate of her house, and that the rest of her minority might pass without opposition in the house of Mrs. Charlton. Day after day, however, passed, and yet she heard nothing more. A week, a fortnight elapsed, and still no letter came. She now concluded the promise was a deception, and repented that she had waited a moment with any such expectation. Her peace during this time was greatly disturbed. This present made her fear she was thought meanly of by Mr. Delvile. The silence of his mother gave her apprehensions for his health, and her own irresolution how to act kept her in perpetual inquietude. She tried in vain to behave as if this incident had not happened. Her mind was uneasy, and the same actions produced not the same effects. When she now worked, or read, the sight of Fidel by her side distracted her attention. When she walked, it was the same, for Fidel always followed her, and though in visiting her old acquaintance she forbore to let him accompany her, she was secretly planning the whole time the contents of some letter which she expected to meet with on returning to Mrs. Charlton's. Those gentlemen in the country, who, during the lifetime of the dean, had paid their addresses to Cecilia, again waited upon her at Mrs. Charlton's, and renewed their proposals. They had now, however, still less chance of success, and their dismission was brief and decisive. Among these came Mr. Biddulph, and to him Cecilia was involuntarily most civil, because she knew him to be the friend of Delvile. Yet his conversation increased the uneasiness of her suspense. For after speaking of the family in general which she had left, he inquired more particularly concerning Delvile, and then added, "'I am indeed greatly grieved to find, by all the accounts I receive of him, that he is now in a very bad state of health.' This speech gave her fresh subject for apprehension, and in proportion as the silence of Mrs. Delvile grew more alarming, her regard for her favourite Fidel became more partial. The affectionate animal seemed to mourn the loss of his master, and while sometimes she indulged herself in fancifully telling him of her fears, she imagined she read in his countenance the faithfullest sympathy. One week of her minority was now all that remained, and she was soon wholly occupied in preparations for coming of age. She proposed taking possession of a large house that had belonged to her uncle, which was situated only three miles from that of Mrs. Charlton, 
and she employed herself in giving orders for fitting it up, and in hearing complaints and promising indulgencies to various of her tenants. At this time, while she was at breakfast one morning, a letter arrived from Mrs. Delvile. She apologized for not writing sooner, but added that various family occurrences, which had robbed her of all leisure, might easily be imagined, when she acquainted her that Mortimer had determined upon again going abroad. They were all, she said, returned to Delvile Castle, but mentioned nothing either of the health of her son, or of her own regret, and filled up the rest of her letter with general news and expressions of kindness. Though in a postscript was inserted, we have lost our poor Fidel. Cecilia was still meditating upon this letter, by which her perplexity how to act was rather increased than diminished, when to her great surprise Lady Honoria Pemberton was announced. She hastily begged one of the Miss Charltons to convey Fidel out of sight, from a dread of her raillery, should she at last be unconcerned in the transaction, and then went to receive her. Lady Honoria, who was with her governess, gave a brief history of her quitting Delvile Castle, and said she was now going with her father to visit a noble family in Norfolk, but she had obtained his permission to leave him at the inn where they had slept, in order to make a short excursion to Bury, for the pleasure of seeing Miss Beverley. "'And therefore,' she continued, "'I can stay but half an hour, so you must give me some account of yourself as fast as possible.' "'What account does your ladyship require?' "'Why, who you live with here, and who are your companions, and what you do with yourself?' "'Why, I live with Mrs. Charlton, and for companions I have at least a score. Here are her two granddaughters, and Mrs. and Miss—' "'Fo-fo,' interrupted Lady Honoria. "'But I don't mean such humdrum companions as those.' You'll tell me next, I suppose, of the parson and his wife and three daughters, with all their cousins and aunts. I hate those sort of people. What I desire to hear of is, who are your particular favourites, and whether you take long walks here, as you used to do at the castle, and who you have to accompany you. And then, looking at her very archly, she added, a pretty little dog, now, I should think, would be vastly agreeable in such a place as this. Ah, Miss Beverley, you have not left off that trick of colouring, I see. If I colour now, said Cecilia, fully convinced of the justness of her suspicions, I think it must be for your ladyship, not myself. For if I am not much mistaken, either in person or by proxy, a blush from Lady Honoria Pemberton would not just now be wholly out of season. Lord, cried she, how like that is to a speech of Mrs. Delvile's! She has taught you exactly her manner of talking. But do you know, I am informed, you have got Fidel with you here. Oh, fie, Miss Beverley, what will papa and mamma say when they find you have taken away poor little master's plaything? And, oh, fie, Lady Honoria, what shall I say when I find you guilty of this mischievous frolic? I must beg, however, since you have gone thus far, that you will proceed a little farther, and send back the dog to the person from whom you received him. <laughs> no, not I. Manage him all your own way. If you choose to accept dogs from gentlemen, you know, it is your affair, and not mine.' 
"'If you really will not return him yourself, "'you must at least pardon me "'should you hear that I do in your ladyship's name.' "'Lady Honoria for some time only laughed and rallied, "'without coming to any explanation. "'But when she had exhausted all the sport she could make, "'she frankly owned that she had herself ordered the dog "'to be privately stolen, "'and then sent a man with him to Mrs. Charlton's. "'But you know,' she continued, I really owed you a spite for being so ill-natured as to run away after sending me to call Mortimer to comfort and take leave of you. Do you dream, Lady Honoria? When did I send you? Why, you know you looked as if you wished it, and that was the same thing. But really, it made me appear excessively silly, when I had forced him to come back with me, and told him you were waiting for him, to see nothing of you at all, and not be able to find or trace you. He took it all for my own invention. And was it not your own invention? Why, that's nothing to the purpose. I wanted him to believe you sent me, for I knew else he would not come. Your ladyship was a great deal too good. Why, now, suppose I had brought you together. What possible harm could have happened from it? It would merely have given each of you some notion of a fever and ague. For first you would both have been hot, and then you would both have been cold, and then you would both have turned red, and then you would both have turned white, and then you would both have pretended to simper at the trick, and then there would have been an end of it. "'This is a very easy way of settling it all,' cried Cecilia, laughing. "'However, you must be content to abide by your own theft, "'for you cannot in conscience expect I should take it upon myself.' "'You are terribly ungrateful, I see,' said her ladyship, "'for all the trouble and contrivance and expense I have been at merely to oblige you, "'while the whole time—' Poor Mortimer, I dare say, has had his sweet pet advertised in all the newspapers, and cried in every market-town in the kingdom. By the way, if you do send him back, I would advise you to let your man demand the reward that has been offered for him, which may serve in part a payment for his travelling expenses. Cecilia could only shake her head, and recollect Mrs. Delvile's expression that her levity was incorrigible. "'Oh, if you had seen,' she continued, "'how sheepish Mortimer looked when I told him you were dying to see him before he set off. "'He coloured so, just as you do now, but I think you're vastly alike.' "'I fear, then,' cried Cecilia, not very angry at this speech, "'there is but little chance your ladyship should like either of us.' "'Oh, yes, I do. I like odd people of all things.' "'Odd people? And in what are we so very odd?' "'Oh, in a thousand things. You're so good, you know, and so grave, and so squeamish.' "'Squeamish? How?' "'Why, you know, you never laugh at the old folks, and never fly at your servants, nor smoke people before their faces.' and are so civil to the old fograms, you would make one imagine you liked nobody so well. By the way, I could do no good with my little Lord Durford. He pretended to find out I was only laughing at him, and so he minded nothing I told him. 
I dare say, however, his father made the detection, for I am sure he had not wit enough to discover it himself. Cecilia then very seriously began to entreat that she would return the dog herself, and confess her frolic, remonstrating in strong terms upon the mischievous tendency and consequences of such inconsiderate flights. "'Well,' cried she, rising, this is all vastly true, but I have no time to hear any more of it just now. Besides, it's only forestalling my next lecture from Mrs. Delvile, for you talk so much alike that it is really very perplexing to me to remember which is which. She then hurried away, protesting she had already outstayed her father's patience, and declaring the delay of another minute would occasion half a dozen expresses to know whether she was gone towards Scotland or Flanders. This visit, however, was both pleasant and consolatory to Cecilia, who was now relieved from her suspense, and revived in her spirits by the intelligence that Delvile had no share in sending her a present, which from him would have been humiliating and impertinent. She regretted, indeed, that she had not instantly returned it to the castle, which she was now convinced was the measure she ought to have pursued. But to make all possible reparation— she determined that her own servant should set out with him the next morning to Bristol, and take a letter to Mrs. Delvile to explain what had happened, since to conceal it from any delicacy to Lady Honoria would be to expose herself to suspicions the most mortifying, for which that gay and careless young lady would never thank her. She gave orders, therefore, to her servant to get ready for the journey. When she communicated these little transactions to Mrs. Charlton, that kind-hearted old lady, who knew her fondness for Fidel, advised her not yet to part with him, but merely to acquaint Mrs. Delvile where he was, and what Lady Honoria had done, and by leaving to herself the care of settling his restoration, to give her at least an opportunity of offering him to her acceptance. Cecilia, however, would listen to no such proposal. She saw the firmness of Delvile in his resolution to avoid her, and knew that policy, as well as propriety, made it necessary she should part with what she could only retain to remind her of one whom she now most wished to forget. End of chapter 2 Recording by Barony